you find yourself walking down a dark and winding road. The rain picks up, a cold wind blows, chilling you to your bones. Looking for shelter, you see it. There in the distance, the great shell of a long, dead dragon turtle. Hurrying your pace, you see the sign, and stepping in, the warmth and music begins to fill your ears, and you've made it to the drunken dragon turtle. Inside, it is bustling, full of a menagerie of adventurers and villains. Behind the bar, the turtle bartender fills tankards and glasses at a lightning speed. From across the room, the house host, a halfling named Brandy, gives the nod to the elven bard. With piercing green eyes and blonde curls falling to her shoulders, she strums her ukulele as the tavern patrons join her for a song, and the host approaches you. Hey, back up! Back up! Back up! Havens! Hi! You there, adventurer! Sorry, we're, we're packed house tonight. Um, here, grab this, and, uh, oh, those plates, and, uh, oh, there is an open seat just over there. Go on! Don't be shy, they don't bite. Uh, hard. Uh. Hey, that's not a table! A newcomer. Oh, a stranger. Welcome. I'm Fish. <laughs> and I'm Matt. And this is the Drunken Dragon Turtle Podcast. There once was a man named Stellan Yancey who traveled o'er the sea. Searching for some golden brew to set the owls right free. But on the isle did start to crawl, he saw his trip set in. He threw the brew right o'er the side, and to home he did flee. Everyone, fill your glass with the finest air, we'll see if you dance. But if you drink the night away like me, the owls won't have a chance. The dragon turtle coupled up all the special brew. In his pursuit, Stellan Yancey found a channel straight and true. The turtle drunk off his ale, crashed into the aisle, and spinning home to share his tale, Stellan Nilsi flew. Fill your glass with the finest ale, and we'll see if you dance. But drink the night away like me, the owls won't have a chance. Our friend is a man named Stellan Nilsi who traveled o'er the sea. Mr. Yancey turned his ship to a bar for you and me. If his hill be true, it's best that you keep a watchful eye, for the dragon turtle might just catch you if you drink a All right, so on to the next part of our little dungeon building experience. Our little prompt for this next part after dealing with the Lich and the Phylactery Factory. We've deep dived into the <laughs> Lich and we have gone into our inspirations for what we have created from that and what rooms we've built beyond that. We have built the end of the dungeon. Now we are building the middle of the dungeon, the encounter room, so to speak, this dedicated combat encounter, or could be something else, depending, but it will most likely be combat. Exactly. And I think we, we chose uh, a creature, I think, or, or a family of creatures that are appreciated in D&D because they do appear a fair amount in lots of the published adventures. Um, you, you encounter a variant of this 
I think in most of the books that I've read through, you encounter a variant. I know you encounter several of them throughout Cholt. Um, but I think it's a creature that a lot of people don't fully understand the where, except for one of them, really. And maybe, unfortunately, because of that, get misused a lot. And I think it's misused accidentally and not misused in like a malicious sense. We've been keeping them on pins and needles for so long. We're talking about golems. <laughs> and really, we should only be calling one of them golem. I mean, the rest are constructs or various other things, but we'll get into that as we talk about them. So to begin with this little deep dive, uh, my research consisted from the scholarly source of Britannica. They are a wonderful resource that definitely college students can use and teachers saying, no, you can't use it because it's .com is bullcrap. Agreed. Britannica Honestly. knows their stuff. It's edited on a regular basis. So I usually and, get you know, at one time before Wikipedia, we had the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, that uh -huh. was a thing. Yeah. For all you young ones out there who haven't ever heard of an encyclopedia. Uh, yes, I'm looking at my co-host when I say this. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> I can live beyond my age. I may be a vampire and stuck at 21 forever, but geez, don't rub it in. <laughs> but hey, I will always live with the fact that my liver is just barely legal. Yeah, and you're going to continue living like that for the rest of the time, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Abusing the crap like that until I take a stake to the heart. Just make sure it's a ribeye. Oh, oh <laughs> just such juiciness. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God, now I've made him hungry. You're, no, I want to order a raw steak. <laughs> golems. Yes, golems. The, the topic of this not unloved monster, but maybe misunderstood creature. Unrepresent or misrepresented. Misrepresented creation, yeah. And because of this misrepresentation, it has led to many false ideas of what a golem was. The The monster manual will say a golem is a a construct created for by a wizard for a singular purpose, usually the defense of the wizard or to strike down the wizard's enemies. There is a magical item called the Manual of Golems, or something yes. like that yeah so there's four copies of this manual throughout the world you can use this manual to create a golem of flesh clay stone or iron as you know we all know or whatever variation of golems you decide as the dungeon master to make if you go back in far enough editions <laughs> just going on the the D, D wikia page and just reading them off took me a solid minute and a half just by oh, going down yeah. the names like animaniac style yeah, no, there's there's definitely dozens upon dozens of different types of golems because you have golems made from literally everything from the four that we have today to you had treasure golems, you had mist golems, ice golems, bone golems. golems, bone golems, dragon which, bone golems. Yeah, dragon bone golems, dragon skin and, golems. <laughs> you know, you could make a golem basically out of anything which, while interesting, posed a lot of problems to DMs because it was kind of a, well, what makes sense and what works here? Yeah. 
And then it came into a lot of guesswork of, okay, well, if this golem is made out of this material, what is its special properties and things? And just based off of the 5th edition monster manual, it is kind of confusing from the latter end of the CRs what their whole deal is. But the early CRs make sense for what they have done, whether thematically or actual cultural inspiration that they were taken from. But enough pandering around on the beforehand. Uh, according to the scholarly source of Britannica, uh, the golem is an image endowed with light. Now this image is whether or not it's a statue or whether or not it's just this creation. It is this creation endowed with life. I'm going to get, oh, I'm going deep dive. I'm going to the Bible, folks. The uh -oh. term is first used in the Bible, or rather the Jewish Talmud. The OJB, the Orthodox Jewish Bible, says in Psalm 139.16, Thine eyes did see my golem, in parentheses, embryo, yet being unformed. You go to the New International Version, the NIV, your eyes saw my unformed body. You go in between those, golem and unformed are one and the same. Golem, embryo, golem, unformed. That is because golem is the Hebrew word embryo. It is not fully life. It is a single-minded creation, not fully conscious. It is a construct made through a very specific process. The golem, as we know it, assumed its present connotation really in the Middle Ages when many legends arose of wise men who could bring effigies to life by means of a charm or a combination of letters forming a sacred word or one of the names of God. The letters written on paper were placed in the golem's mouth or affixed to its head. It was a perfect servant, if not to the too literal sense. This really kind of took off in the 16th century when the golem became the protector of the Jewish people. I'm not going to go into the whole Jewish history of oppression that they have faced through the Egyptians all the way to the Nazis all the way to now they're Israel. I'm not going to go over all that history, no, but it, let it be known they were persecuted for a very, very long time. And because of this persecution, legends arose of the golem as a protector of the Jewish faith of those Jewish faithful, especially in the city of Prague, because the Jews in Prague lived in a ghetto. They lived in their own little societies where the law was trying to keep them out, was trying to push them out of Prague. And there were officials and government who were very anti-Semitic to the Jewish cause because they undermined a good deal of, at that point, the Christian foothold that the Holy Roman Empire was perpetuating at that point especially towards the Middle East, where you have Christianity and Islam combating alongside Judaism. It's just a battleground. However, the most famous tale of the golem does originate in Prague from the 16th century rabbi, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Judah ben Bezulel, Judah ben Bezulel of Prague. It was the basis this entire story go look it up the golem of prague if, if you are if you are a listener who who can properly pronounce that name please do not you know please don't yell at us too loudly about that one be gentle 
just read the Golem of Prague. The best advice we can give for learning about golems is go read the original texts. Go read the original stories. And hell, yeah. Prague uses the golem as a tourist trap because of how famous this legend is. So look up the, the Golem of Prague and you will get better information. The Golem of Prague was, at least the legend, was the basest for Gustav Meyrink's novel, Der Golem, otherwise in English, The Golem. And this was in 1915. And it became a series of German silent films in 1920, which provided many details that led to the creation of the American Frankenstein horror theme. Now, before we jump into the whole Frankenstein horror theme, because that is very prevalent oh, yes. in golem <laughs> culture, or at least in the common golem culture at the moment, I'm going to talk about Der Golem for a minute, the German silent films. Go Specifically, Der Golem, how he came into the world. Okay. It had an interesting plot. This is 1920. I'm going to preface that. The plot basically consists of a rabbi, a rabbi uh, Lowe, creating a golem to protect the Jews of his ghetto, his community, very much in the style of the golem of Prague. However, instead of this rabbi writing down the word of God and placing it into this mass of clay, because the first golem of Jewish faith was clay, and that is represented in the monster manual as a clay golem. That is the one true golem in the monster manual. Instead of placing this word of God or word of sacred truth into the mouth or fixing it to the forehead, this specific plot says that in order for them to find the word, they had to summon Astaroth. Now, Astaroth, for those of you who are not familiar with demonology, is a demon. They had to summon a demon, otherwise a demon that serves as the great duke of hell, Thought to, this is originally thought to come from the Babylonian goddess Astarte. And so a lot of Christian faith and a lot of other faiths demonized the ancient cultures because it wasn't one of the Abrahamic religions. And so Astaroth then became a demon in this whole cosmology. So in this movie, they're summoning a demon to give them the word of God or to give them the word of truth, the, word of, that will, the magic word that will bring life. They do that. Okay. They write it down. They put it into the golem, which, by the way, in this silent film, that is, mm -hmm. there is no better way I can describe this as the image of Der Golem, the movie. That is where the stone golem inspiration comes from. You look at the stone yeah. golem, and it looks fairly similar to Der Golem. It does. It really does if you look at the pictures. The, the word was written on a piece of paper and then enclosed on a locket, and the locket was put into the chest of this golem, which activated the golem, turning it on. And then this dude, this rabbi, flaunts the golem everywhere. He goes to, like, the, can the castle with the king and is like, Hey, I made a golem to protect my people that you don't like. Deal with it. And then all of a sudden, they're like, Oh, tell us more about the Jewish faith. And he's like, Okay, here, I'm going to make this magic chalkboard. Woo! And makes a magic chalkboard and starts showing all of his stuff on this magic chalkboard. Because <laughs> obviously, if you're a rabbi, you're magic at this point. Clearly. So he's doing all of this. And somehow, at this point, he's like, oh, by the way, no one laugh. Otherwise, that's going to be bad. Right. He starts writing stuff down. And then this one Jewish person who apparently was kind of funny looking walks in and someone laughed. And guess what happens? Oh, no. The building starts collapsing because 
You should have told them, if you laugh, the building's gonna collapse. Exactly, right? So someone starts laughing and, oh, look, the golem protects them. He holds the building up. So everyone's like, oh, this golem's great. Hey, the Jewish people aren't that bad. Hey, the golem can stay. So Lo is like, okay, I'm going to turn it off. You don't, I don't need you anymore. My people are safe. Turns it off. Right. Eventually goes, consults the stars, reads the stars, and the stars tell him that Astaroth is going to take control of the golem and destroy stuff. Well, I wouldn't put it past the demon to take control of the golem yeah. in this moment. So Lo goes back, and by the way, Lo has a daughter. Lo goes home and is like, oh, there's some dude sleeping with my daughter. This dude <laughs> is not good. He is the playboy of the block. I am angry. I'm going to turn the golem on and send him out. Turns the golem on. Golem, get rid of this dude. So the golem goes upstairs and does indeed kick the guy out the house through the third story window. Oh no. Oh, killing the no. man. <laughs> and it's at this point that he's like, um. And, and it should be important to ID this man <laughs> as a knight. You just killed a member of the political class with a golem. He was a schmuck. He was a schmuck. All knights are schmuck. <laughs> okay? But still. So the golem kills the dude by throwing him out the window, and it goes on a rampage. Why? Because it's possessed by a demon. Not just a demon, the demon that's like, oh, hey, I totally know the word that will bring life and help you make a protector. Here you go. Yeah. Hi. And that's it. Goes on, and then the golem goes on a rampage and... Through a series of events, the golem gets to the main gate where there are three little girls dancing around and playing. And oh, no. the golem at this point somehow has become docile. Like, Astaroth has, has been sent away. Something has happened. We're getting a happy ending. And the little girl just walks up and takes the thing out of the golem. And the golem deactivates. And basically, it's happy ending. Oh, the daughter is in love with the assistant. Oh, it's all, it's all a happy ending. The Jewish people can stay because I have magic that can make a golem. Don't, let's all forget that the golem literally just killed a man and probably just caused so much public damage and probably killed a few other people. Exactly. So if you look at that movie, what Matt, what are some similarities from this 1920 silent film that you can see to anything in modern culture. That sounds suspiciously like the Frankenstein movie, the original Frankenstein from, I believe it was, if I'm remembering correctly, 1931 by James Wales. Only 11 years later. So here's the thing, is the flesh golem that we have in D&D, &D, as we all know, stitched together, lightning resistant, Everyone knows that it is inspired by Frankenstein's monster or the creature. Here's the thing. Is the whole idea of the body being uh, grafted together from cadavers, reanimated through the use of electricity, was not from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the original book. Where the name con like comes from. Right. That was made popular by the 1931 film ad adaptation of the story and other early motion picture works based on the creature. In the original work, in the original book, Victor Frankenstein, the doctor, created 
what discovered this unknown but elemental principle of life. And that insight allows him to develop a way to imbue vitality into inanimate matter. The exact way you do that is left ambiguous. Lightning! Which people interpreted as lightning, which fine, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But everything past that is from those movies. So the fact that the flesh golem has so many of these tropes of what we would call the Frankenstein monster, the creature of Frankenstein, that's where it comes from. Is That's where we get those ideas. The original monster was actually highly intelligent, viewed itself and believed it should have been viewed as Adam, the first man from the, in the Garden of Eden, which makes a lot of sense. Frankenstein completely rejected his monster, utilized words such as wretch, monster, creature, demon, devil, fiend, it. When he referred to the creature, when he addresses it, he calls it a vile insect, an abhorred monster, a wretched devil, an abhorred devil. Even the monster himself, the monster itself would compare itself to the fallen angel. Speaking to Frankenstein, at one point it says, I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel. And it knows this and it calls itself this refers to itself in this way because it had read paradise lost in the original book so you're talking about a a highly intelligent fully functioning being fully autonomous creature person i would dare say being enslaved by this doctor um i will say out of all the golems the flesh golem has the highest intelligence it's six but clay right, is but it, three iron is three and stone is wow big surprise fisher is currently getting because he clicked a button and it's gone Hold on. it's a three three <laughs> But that's the thing, is that the creature is highly intelligent and highly articulate to the point where I would even say, be willing to say that the creature's intelligence score should be not just 10, but like I would put it on par with low level adventurers. 10, at uh, least 10. To at least, maybe even a 12. A well-read no. commoner. Exactly. 12 me you could even make an argument for 14 because it is and it is described throughout the book as highly art intelligent highly articulate and the fact that it abandoned it ran away from frankenstein it understood that people feared it because of the way it looked so it hid itself only really interacting with a blind man and secretly living there for months on end you know, learning to speak by just listening to the conversations around it, teaching itself to read. So, I mean, the, the, the creature learns how to travel the world, even though he understands it, it will never be accepted by humans. And he hates his creator for abandoning him. He, he you know, tracks him down. He's highly intelligent. I mean, in the movie, we all know the sequence in the movie when the, when the creature finds the little girl throwing, I believe it's like flowers and flower petals into the water. The creature then throws the child in the water to see if the child will float. 
and not in a it Georgie sort of way, but in you know uh, a a child not understanding. You are throwing things in the water, and they are floating. If I, I throw you in the you, you and throw, and throw you, you into the water. In the book, that's different. The book actually in the book, the creature saves a child from drowning in a river, or in a river. And the father, believing the creature was there to harm him, harm them, shoots the creature. At that point is when the creature decides to get revenge against humanity, but specifically Victor, and then argues quite eloquently that as a living being, he has a right to happiness and that happiness being a, a wife and that they'll vanish into South America to never reappear. So the, the, the creature is, is a highly intelligent being who then escapes into the Arctic to hide. And then upon the end of the book, after Victor has died in the Arctic, freezing to death, the creature says, this death did not bring me peace. Rather, it has made that uh, his crimes have made him even more miserable than Victor ever was. And the creature vows to basically kill himself, hops up on an ice raft, goes into the Arctic, never to be seen again. You're going to tell me that a creature with intelligence six and a wisdom 10 has enough wherewithal to do all of that. Which brings us into the actual stat block. It does. We're going to start with the lowest CR. We'll work our way up. Mm -hmm. Lowest CR being the flesh golem inspired by the films. The films. Specifically the films. Specifically the films. AC 9, 93 hit points, speed 30. Pretty standard. We're talking about a CR 5 creature, so only 1,800 experience points if you kill it. Stat block across the board, 19 strength, 9 dex, 18 con, 6 intelligence, 10 wisdom, 5 charisma. Again, all of this makes sense if you look at the creature from the films. It's got some damage immunities. It's immune to lightning, poison, bludgeoning, piercing, slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't adamantine, which is interesting that it's specifically adamantine, which means you can get around that immunity if you have either a magical weapon or weapon made of adamantine. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know if that's D&D specifically, like being like, here is a material you can use that can make a magic item without making a magic item. Well, that makes sense because certain res- some creatures have the resistance of magic or silver. Exactly. And adamantine is specifically a weapon or a uh, an item that's better at breaking down constructs and walls and inanimate objects than against a living creature. So the fact that we're talking about a construct, it's actually, you know, creature typed construct. Mm-hmm. Adamantine being what gets around that immunity makes sense. Right. But it's a construct made of flesh and bone and meat. It's still a construct in their minds, I guess. I guess. Condition immunities, charmed, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned. Again, that all makes sense. Except if this is being inspired off of the movie, this thing being, this thing can get frightened. Yeah, this thing can get frightened, and we talk about it a little bit, and we'll talk about a little bit of how it can be frightened. Air quotes. Senses, dark vision, 60 feet, passive perception, 10, fine, whatever. Sure, it's not super aware of its surroundings. Languages, understands the languages of its creator, but it can't speak. Again, off of the movie, that makes sense, unless you watch Young Frankenstein. And then we get into some of its fun little abilities. So we're going to talk about the ones that don't surprise anybody. 
uh, immutable form. You cannot use polymorph, true polymorph. You can't change the shape of the construct. I want to turn the flesh golem into a squirrel. Not going to happen. Lightning absorption. Again, this is a creature inspired by the movies. You hit it with lightning. It takes no damage. Regain hit points. Because what's the secret to life? A bolt from the sky! <laughs> Very clearly. Magic resistance, again, that makes sense. This is a thing created by magic. It makes sense that it would have an easier time trying to protect itself from magic. Magic weapons, again, being made of magic, its attacks are magical. Aversion to fire. So this is where you get the fear of fire from the movies. Oh, fire, dead! Exactly, that if the golem takes fire damage, and I'm actually going to stop calling a flesh golem a flesh golem because that doesn't make a lot of sense. I get so, that it's a construct, but it's not from the golem, the, the, the Jewish inspiration story. So I'm just going to start calling these just like the creature or, you know, Frankenstein's creature. We'll call him Frank. We'll call him Frank for now. Aversion to fire takes fire damage as disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks at the end of its next turn. And then it has Berserk. Now, Berserk, if you've seen the movie, uh, the 1931 film, you know that when shown with fire or when Igor beats it enough, the creature goes into a berserk rage and tears its way out of its cell, kills people. That's when it goes ballistic. And then it loses an arm and grabs a sword that's just a raw chunk of iron and just fights demons. Or Wait. <laughs> That. What? what? Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I went to the anime named Berserk. Go on. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> if it starts below forty hit points, you roll a d6 on a six. The creature goes berserk. While it's berserk, it attacks the nearest creature. If no creature is near enough for it to move to an attack. It attacks an object, preference to object smaller than itself. Once it's berserk, it stays berserk until it's destroyed or regains all its hit points. However, the creator of the golem, and this is unique specifically to Frank, the creator of Frank, if they're within 60 feet of him, can try to calm it by speaking firmly and persuasively. Frank must be able to hear the creator and they must, and the creator must take an action to make a DC 15 persuasion check. If the check succeeds, Frank's no longer berserk, but if Frank takes any more damage, Frank can go berserk again. Frankie, baby, come here. You don't want to be going angry all over my lab. Yeah, I'm poking and I'm prodding you with a lightning rod just to make you live more. I mean, you've seen how people, like, live so well after getting hit by lightning bolts. Right, folks? Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, looking at attacks, Frank has multi-attack. can make two slam attacks, a slam attack, plus seven to hit, 2d8 plus four bludgeoning damage. It's magical. You're looking at about 13 damage per shot average. So if you hit both your attacks at CR5, you're doing 26 damage total. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So very true to its inspirational form of where it came from. We appreciate that. But call it Frank. His name is Frank. Or her name is Frank. Their name is Frank. Their name is Frank. Do we feel like we have covered Frank? Well enough. Can we can we lay Frank to rest now? I, th I think we can lay Frank to rest now. Frank needs to take a nap. Okay. Frank needs to go relax, have a soda, and just chill. Okay. Frank? Hey, buddy, go put some cucumbers on your eyes, okay? I hear that really helps. Okay. Okay, he's he's going off to the back. Frank, go take a nap. You'll be fine. Okay. okay. We love you. 
I got I got the baby monitor right here so we can we can hear if he starts screaming in his sleep. We can. But now moving on to the first of what I would consider or what we would consider the golem. The golem. The clay golem. You look at the clay golem and this buddy, oh boy, he's a CR9 creature. Now, the clay golem, this is a, a CR9 creature. Typically, golems, at least from Dungeon Masters that I've seen, are going to throw a golem at a party when the golem is at a relatively similar power as the party. The golem is not the boss. I have rarely seen a golem be made a boss. Have you ever seen a golem be made a boss? No, oftentimes you find the golem, or you'd find golems with other... You rarely solo fight a golem. I believe in oftentimes the golem is utilized as a bodyguard or protector of somebody. Exactly. Um, you rarely fight one alone. You rarely if, fight if one you alone. If you do, usually there's a lot of environmental and area effects happening simultaneously um, to, to that fight. Yeah. So if a golem were to show up, it would be, say, you're in a tomb and you take a step forward and all of a sudden something comes off the wall. It's vaguely humanoid. It has been made to defend this tomb. It has been made to defend this crypt and it is guarding the boss that is lying deep in wait in the middle. So that is why I am going to say if you are using a clay golem, use it as a boss, specifically because the clay golem has one ability that I'm going to get to, which we've heard of already. It's Berserk. It's different from Frank's. But before I get there, we have to cover its stats. Armor class 14, this thing's made of clay. It's relatively easy to hit. It's not heavily armored, but at the same time, it's made of clay. So you better hit it hard in order to deal damage. 133 hit points, otherwise 14 D10 plus 56. That's just a nice little step above the Flesh Golem, being maybe four more CR higher than the Flesh Golem. And being CR9 where it is, it's an okay, at least... Do you think, Matt, it's an yeah, well, okay it's three, amount? It's, it's three more dice. The fl the Frank being an 11d8 plus 44 uh, hit point creature. So it's a step up in dice and three more dice. So yeah, that makes sense to me. Because here's the thing. I'm going to blow your mind, people. Are you ready? You don't need to fudge the health of a monster when you're going into a dungeon because your party is like overpowered. You've given them too many magic items, big whoop. The game literally gives you the answer to that problem. It says it's hit points, but then it gives you a dice value right next to it. If you do the math of that dice value at its maximum, it is not going to be the hit points that you see before you because the hit points you see before you are averaged. And the it's not gonna see those hit points doubled. It's more than that usually. Usually, but in this case, Typically, it'll give a nice, like, 70 extra hit points, depending on what creature you're going with. But in this case, 133 hit points is not 14 times 10 plus 56. That is 196 hit points. If mm -hmm. you want to use this thing vanilla from the book, you can get away and say, I have a 196 hit point clay golem, and no one can attest to you on that because you're using the hit dice value. Yeah, and I would even argue at that stage you don't have to award any extra xp for that exactly a little bit more survivable now the speed 20 feet it's made of clay it's relatively slow strength 
is 20, because that's going to be what it's hitting you over the head with. Dex, very bad. It's clay. It's a 9, so it's a minus 1. Constitution's 18 plus 4, so that's basically a nice keeper of the hit points. Intelligence, mm -hmm. 3. This thing's made of clay. It is the embryo. It is half-formed. It is not fully made. The Wisdom of 8, it's not incredibly thinking on its own, but it does have a wherewithal for its own task that has been made for. Charisma of 1. This thing can understand the languages of its creator, but it can't speak. So if it can't speak, don't worry about charisma. It's a, it's a one. Damage immunities. Now, this is where you people need to start paying attention to damage immunities. The first thing on the Frank was what? Uh, the first damage immunity on Frank was lightning. Lightning. First damage immunity on clay is acid. Why was lightning so important for Frank? Lightning was important for Frank because if you hit it with a lightning bolt, it heals itself because, again, the inspiration. Yeah. You go to the clay golem, you hit this thing with acid. Oh, acid absorption. It has acid absorption. Whenever the golem is subjected to acid damage, it takes no damage and instead regains a number of hit points equal to the acid damage dealt. Acid... This is where acid's kind of a really weird damage type in D&D because a water elemental is immune to acid, not cold. And you go to the clay golem made of clay. Acid can't melt clay? I'm not a chemist, but that don't seem right. But whatever. This thing has an ability. These golems are now having a running theme of the first thing they're immune to, they absorb. Yes. Now, immutable form, magic resistance, magic weapons, same thing. It's made of clay. You can't turn clay into a squirrel because then it'd be a really weird squirrel. It'd be a very strange squirrel. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> uh, now, getting to the reason you need to make the clay golem a boss. Berserk. You go to Frank, and Frank's berserk means that it can be turned off, basically. If it's berserking, it can be calmed down by its creator, and it could go for later. You have a clay golem go on the berserk. It ain't stopping. Whenever a golem goes, whenever a golem starts its turn within 60 hit points or fewer, roll a d6. On a six, the golem goes berserk. On each of its turns while berserk, the golem attacks the nearest creature it can see. If no creature is near enough to move an attack, the golem attacks an object, with preference for an object smaller than itself. Once the golem goes berserk, it continues to do so until it is destroyed or regains all its hit points. And that is a nod to the, where the original Golem story, or at least this inspiration's Golem story, comes from. Because it's just made of clay. It's made of clay, and it was imbued with this sacred word, this sacred power, either into an amulet into its chest, into its mouth, or on its forehead. The amulet in the chest thing came from the movie, but it is mostly forehead written there, or it is in the mouth and placed there by the rabbi. And the rabbi can then remove it and deactivate the golem because the rabbi in the story has the full control over this golem being its mm -hmm. creator and knowing how it works. Now, at this point, you're like, okay, so this thing takes damage. I roll a one in six chance of it going berserk. It goes berserk until it dies. Big whoop. It's going to just do that. It can attack objects. If this is in a city, it will level the city if it's not stopped. Oh, and really interesting point about that. If you let a clay golem let loose in a city, it's damage immunities. Acid, poison, 
psychic not surprising it doesn't have a brain it can't hurt from psychic it doesn't have blood or veins so it can't hurt from poison bludgeoning piercing and slashing from non-magical weapons that aren't adamantine where in a city are you gonna find adamantine or magic items if you're a commoner you're not bludgeoning piercing slashing sure fireworks lightning works but where are you going to find a guard that can be like, I cast Fireball. This thing has 100 and possibly 96 hit points. This thing's going to level the town before the commoners can even have the wherewithal to say, run. Exactly. And that's if it goes berserk. And when there's no one left to attack, it breaks the buildings. One by one, as long as it's smaller than it. And once it gets smaller than that, well, if you break a support beam something's gonna fall down and then it's smaller and then it's game set and match over for pretty much everyone involved er9 i'm not even to the scariest part folks hold on to your butts because we're getting into it actions multi-attack it can make two slam attacks that's normal slam attack it can make a slam attack making a slam attack for a golem is like a magikarp using splash except this ain't useless it's a melee weapon attack with a plus eight to hit not incredibly dangerous, but also not to be ignored. Reach five mm -hmm. feet. It can deal 2d10 plus five bludgeoning damage. If you average it out, it's 16. That's okay. where the slam attack stops for every other golem in this book. The clay golem continues. <laughs> if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 15 constitution saving throw or have its hit point maximum reduced by an amount equal to the damage taken. Exactly. The target dies if this attack reduces its hit point maximum to zero. This thing has the power of a wraith. Yeah, this, this thing is scary. And the problem is a wraith, you can gain all that back with a long rest. A clay golem? <laughs> no. Good luck. You need a greater restoration spell. Matt, what level is greater restoration? I believe it's level five. Level five. When do you get level five spells? Uh, level nine. Level nine. So if, if you are throwing a level nine party at this creature, it's going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be a cakewalk. It's going to get a few hits in. They're going to splash it down into clay. It's not going to go berserk. This is a throwaway encounter. You throw a clay golem into a city full of people and a party that have no access to level five spells yet. If this thing hits a party member at all and they fail a con save, that party member's hit point maximum is permanently reduced. Yeah. Permanently because you need... In the wording, the reduction lasts until removed by the greater restoration spell or other magic. Exactly. There's really not many other magics besides greater restoration before level nine. The only thing I can think of is after level nine stuff, wish spells, things like that. Things like that. But this thing's CR9. Wish spell is not even going to come into play unless they have like a magic ring of wishes or a genie. And that that's a whole other campaign thing. If you've done that, then, well, more power to you as the DM for being willing to put up with that. Exactly. Now, the final, the creme de la creme, the piece de resistance of the clay golem. This mother trucker has haste! Yep. <laughs> Not just haste. Recharging haste. Exactly. 
This isn't a haste where you cast it on yourself and you need concentration because it can't concentrate on this. Instead, it's an ability that recharges in a two and six chance, five and a six, until the end of its next turn. The golem magically gains a plus two bonus to its AC and has advantage on dexterity saving throws and can use its slam attack as a bonus action. This thing doesn't gain any more speed, but it gains more armor class, so going to a 16 armor class, which is a little bit more to be reckoned with, especially if you have lower level parties, which can like maybe have plus five, six, maybe seven to their attack rolls if they haven't maybe. taken any other bonuses or something. Yeah. And this thing gets three attacks. If this has any opportunity to get advantage on someone with three attacks, that's three constitution saving throws, the chances of them failing one of those rises exponentially the more times they get hit. And that's the higher chance of them losing hit points more and more and more. If someone loses 16 maximum hit points at level five, that's half your life. If a wizard lost 16 hit points, they're basically on death's door. And that's from one hit. Now, I will say there is a major kind of drawback to the clay golem having haste. Its haste in and of itself is an action. Mm -hmm. So it cannot haste and use its multi-attack in the same turn. No, but At it can most, prep it for it the can, next. Exactly. It can haste, use its bonus action to make a slam attack, and then next turn make two attacks as normal and a third slam attack. So the question then becomes, is that worth it? And the reason that you have to ask that question is, is it worth it? Because you're getting the same number of attacks across two turns. You're just taking one turn to use your haste. No, you're not getting the same number of attacks because this isn't the haste spell. This is a haste ability. It only allows it to use its bonus action as a slam attack. It doesn't double the action. So you get three attacks next turn instead of four attacks that you could have had right, on the turn you're hasting. Exactly. But no, that's this across two turns. You net the same number of attacks if you use one turn to haste and one turn to make your normal attacks, right? Mm -hmm. One, three. If you don't haste, two, two, four and four. I don't think your math is adding up as you think it does. No, it is because... You use your action to haste, right? Right. You make a bonus action attack. There's one slam attack. Oh, you're right. I'm not accounting for the bonus action he gets as soon as he hastes. So he gets one attack. And then your next turn, you make your multi-attack, your hate, your bonus action attack. Whereas if you stayed non-hasted, two attacks, two attacks. So if you really want to make this effective, have a wizard nearby who casts haste on the clay golem <laughs> and then it can attack four times in one turn exactly then you get scary but again that's how you make clay golems scarier than they already are but moving forward they have advantage on saving throws against magic they so do it, it's really the clay golem is just a prime example for using the golem to its most effectiveness and also this is possibly one of the just most beautiful golems to be created using all of these specific purposes because all of this makes sense in accordance with the original place the golem came with exactly and now that we've covered that let's go to the complete opposite spectrum and talk about the other two let's talk about the stone golem stone golem is a disappointment cr10 so it's one cr better than the clay golem 
You're looking at 17 natural armor, 178 average hit points, 17 D10 plus 85. So which if goes you decided to, to max bag. it out, you're looking at a, you're looking at over 200, which is okay. You're looking at two, 255 hit points. Mm-hmm. Speed of 30 feet. So it is faster and a little bit more survivable than a clay golem. Stat block line, 22 strength, 9 dex, 20 con, 3 intelligence, 11 wisdom, 1 charisma. Damage immunities. Poison, psychic, bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, non-magical adamantine. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Read that again. Damage immunities. Only immune to poison, psychic, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't adamantine. But... But we were we were building a theme. What 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 does it get to absorb? Uh, nothing. Stone golems absorb nothing. <laughs> they had an opportunity. They did. Condition immunity is the same. 120 feet of dark vision, 10 passive perception, same languages. Immutable form, magic resistance, magic weapons. Multi-attack slam. It's slam attack. Not super spectacular. 3d8 plus 6. So you're looking at an average of not so hot, but a solid average of, and I had the math written out somewhere and now I have to redo this math. Average attack of 19 damage per shot. So with two attacks, you're looking at about 38 damage. 38 damage. It's uniqueifier thing. It's unique thing out of all of them is where the clay golem had haste Stone Golem has slow. It targets one or more creature, can see within 10 feet. Each creature must make a wisdom saving throw, DC 17. On a failed save, the target can't use reaction, speed is half, and it can't make more than one attack in its turn. Which is a dick move. And I target, love it. Target can take either an action or bonus action, not both. Effect lasts for a minute. Target can repeat the saving throw at end of each of its turns, ending the effect on a success. So it is a AoE slow spell, but you got to have the party really close to use it. And the party dealing with something like this is going to realize our spells aren't working too well because it has advantage on spell saving throws and spells and other magical effects. Unless they're just fireballing it, then it's still taking full damage from fireball. It's a fireball. fireball. Yep. So it's a nasty thing to have to deal with as a party. But is it worth the CR10 tag when... It doesn't have nearly as much going for it as the clay golem does. So is the stone golem worth the CR10 tag over the CR9 clay golem? Not really. No. No. I'd rather raise the clay golem CR and lower the stone golem CR. They get into a fight, the clay and stone golem, and the stone golem will make it difficult for the clay golem to really do anything because you're going to reduce the clay golem to 10 feet of movement, get one slam attack, even if it's like hasting, it doesn't gain access to its bonus action. So I feel personally like if they had a reason for the stone golem being the way it was, it was to counteract the clay golem. And there's no better purpose for that. Exactly. I would almost bring the stone golem down to the same CR as the clay golem because they are supposed to be two sides of the same coin. Now, a stone golem and a clay golem going up against a party simultaneously, that's scary. Oh, yeah. That's a wombo combo of dreams right there. You get an artificer 
like wizard who's like, I'm a cast haste on the clay golem, and I'm going to take care of everything else with this, uh, this stone golem. Just go slow everything, and my clay golem's going to mop you up like Sandman and Spider-Man. Exactly. So the stone golem on its own, interesting. As we said earlier, inspired by Dare Golem, the movie. If you look at the art, very inspired by Aztec and Mayan culture and architecture. Especially since so, they use it a lot in Tomb of Annihilation. They do, so very much Chulton. Very cool-looking creature. Few modifications, but otherwise, solid beastie. Just not worth that CR10 tag. And also, give this thing a damage absorption and one more immunity, please. Because this is the only damn quote-unquote golem in this thing that does not be... It can't absorb anything. It just stands there and takes all this abuse. And there's nothing to this thing aside from slow. Because if you look at this thing, people are going to go fight this. Like, oh, it's a walking statue. Okay, this honestly should be called stone statue. Yeah, or awakened statue. This should be called awakened statue. And then the slow thing is like the weird gimmick the awakened statue has. Exactly. So we got Frank... Clay Golem, Awakened Statue. And then we have... The Iron Golem is... Superman. It's... Nope, wait, that's the Iron Giant. Yep, yep. Wrong thing. Wrong thing. Oh, God. Oh, God, for demonetization. Oh, wait, they can't hurt us. We're broke. <laughs> We're already broke. <laughs> uh, you go to the Iron Golem. It's a large construct, just like everything else. However, this thing is a challenge rating 16. Which is a huge jump from the stone golem. Sorry, the awakened statue. This is a huge <laughs> jump from the awakened statue with six challenge rating like levels going up. So that means that the armor class of this iron golem is 20. Oh my goodness. 20 armor class. This thing is a tank. And he is a big, beautiful tank. He has, now this is the underwhelming part for like the given hit points, 210. What's his die breakdown? The die breakdown, however, is 20 d10, so 200 plus 100. So it's 300 hit points with an armor class of 20. 300 hit points max, armor class 20. If you've got a barbarian at this level, challenge rating 16, if you're not using this as a boss, this thing is going to go down regardless. Exactly. But it's going to go down kicking. Strength 24 to rival a giant. Uh, Dex 9 because they're clunky. Con 20, because it's made out of just iron. Intelligence yeah. of 3, because it's a dumb boy. Um, wisdom of 11, and then Charisma of 1, because it doesn't talk. Damage immunities. Fire, poison, psychic, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons that aren't animantine. The one thing in there that's cool about this, damage immunities, fire. What is the most used uh, spell in the game? Fireball. Well, on TikTok and in pop culture, fireball. Fireball and only fireball. Only use fireball. Only use fireball. Go to wizarding school. Learn fireball. Quit. Keep doing it. Only fireball. Uh, Condition immunities, charmed, exhausted, frightened, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned. It's a machine. Uh, Dark vision, 120 feet. Passive perception, 10. Uh, Understands language, but can't speak. Now, it has fire absorption. Whenever the golem is subjected to fire damage, it takes no damage. Instead, regains a number of hit points equal to fire damage dealt just like the other ones. So it heals which is thematic because if you heat iron and you treat iron, it turns to steel. 
which exactly. I appreciate about this because they're using the big brain power and naming it iron and then giving it fire absorption. The more heat you give to this thing, oh boy, that oven cooking up. It has immutable form, magic resistance, and magic weapons, yada, yada, yada. They've all had that. Two, two melee attacks. It has a slam attack, 3d8 plus 7, plus 13 to hit, which is pretty good for this level, especially it's only being melee. However, this is the only golem that has a sword, has its own weapon. Ooh, it has a weapon. It has a weapon, which makes this thing different. You then use the sword. It only increases the average dice by like, like increases the average damage by three. So it goes from average 20 damage to 23 damage. 3d10 plus seven instead of 3d8 plus seven. So you have a higher maximum you can reach, but it's, it's not that much better. However, it has a reach of 10 feet. So that's the benefit of using the sword. Bigger dice, bigger range, hit harder, smash. It's exactly. final ability, which is kind of weird. Not going to lie. Poison breath. It takes an action as the golem exhales poisonous gas in a 15-foot cone. Each creature in that area makes a DC 19 constitution saving throw, taking 45 average out of 10d8 poison damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. Here's my hot take on this. <laughs> hot take. Hot take. Poison, because the forge emits chemicals and emits things that aren't good to breathe. Because poison isn't just the green smog coming out of the chemical plant. Ooh, smithers. Uh, True. It is something that is toxic, something poisonous. Alcohol is poison after enough drinking it. Water is poison if you drink <laughs> enough of it. The fact that this thing uses poison at such a high level is kind of weird because at this level, a lot of things have ways of getting around poison. The monk won't take any poison damage at all. So if you have a monk in this situation, that poison breath is useless. Just keep wailing with the sword. Otherwise, you have the barbarian, which has a high constitution. And typically, some of them don't take poison damage. Like, Matt, do you know of all the things that don't take poison damage at high levels? Paladins, monks, some clerics um, are all immune to poison from what I can recall. Most things, I think, end up getting some sort of advantage against poison. There's dwarves. Lots of poison dwarves. If you're just a dwarf, you have stuff. So this would be like something dwarven made to throw against things that aren't dwarves. And then, but the, the thing that's nice about this is, is if you have a party that does not have a lot of poison resistances, which is the only reason you should be throwing this at them to make them regret not getting a dwarf, because dwarf master race, let's face it. Um, the golem will breathe out the 10d8 poison damage and wreck their crap dc19 con save only people who are really good in con are the wizards and the barbarians because face it if you're playing a wizard you you're gonna try your best to max out your con as well as your intelligence now the the idea for the iron golem or as i'd like to call it the talos because yeah. this is inspired by jason and the argonauts the movie because they had the giant statue of talos walking around and waving his sword this is back when they had the uh, the stop motion animation intermingling with the live action animation. And it was the beginning of animation as we know it, Jason and the Argonauts. Um, and this thing, and it, at was one, it was good. This thing at one point was like cut in the Achilles heel, I believe. And steam started boiling out of it. I think so. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. And so now they're like, oh, that's poisonous. And it can it can breathe it. 
out of its because face why hole. not? Or out of its whatever poison holes it has. The Iron Golem has a really weird arrangement, but it makes sense if you remember that it's based off of a giant walking statue of Talos from Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. All right, and now we are on to the section where we fudge around with it in our own way for our dungeon. Seeing as this is the third room in the dungeon, or at least the middle room out of our five that we have made in this way, with the treasure room and the phylactery factory being one and two, the central combat for our golem encounter is the third. Shall we roll a d20 and see who of us goes first? Well, yours probably will. I got a five. And I got a 19. All righty. So in order to give context to how I used it, I have to read the, the little beforehand for this adventure I made. The Lich used a cross of necromancy and dunamancy, time and necromantic magics to uh, move himself through this state of undeath. But he had to start from somewhere. Once he figured out how to use his phylactery, he needed to power it. And it was there that he discovered the town of Eulogy. The Resurrectionist, or our Lich, found home in a graveyard in Eulogy of the church to the Saint Ahava. Ahava, who blessed the land with truest love and generosity before her untimely death at the whims of a fire. The fire burnt down the town, and it was said that in the flames, she blessed a tablet with her last breath in the throes of death, finally seeing truth of why she was alive. She, with her last breath, spoke this word of truth, and the building collapsed down upon her. In the wreckage of this building, the word of truth remained, and around it, from the structural supports of this church, from the iron beams and the stone and the clay of the earth, a golem formed, with the last word of Ahava built within it. This being, formed from this word, knew only love for the people of Eulogy and wanted to protect them with its very soul, its very being. Its only purpose was to protect the people of Eulogy. Now, of course, the Resurrectionist came to town and promised resurrection to all of its inhabitants, but he didn't say who the resurrection was for. After the Resurrectionist was done, the graveyard was full, and Eulogy became a ghost town, with its protector now guarding the dead of Eulogy, ensuring that they will never be harmed ever again. And it is there that this lich found solace in its egotistical state, to live beneath the golem, forever taunting it, that it failed in its only task. So, the golem is in the middle of a graveyard in a mausoleum. My dungeon only becomes submersive after the golem encounter, because the mausoleum is a 65 by 45 foot wide and long chamber with all of these coffins and all of these sarcophaguses and all of these urns full of the people of eulogy within, all built within the walls. The center is this uh, 15 by 20 rectangular kind of pressure area, or at least a resting place for the golem while it deactivates itself. And it only becomes active if the people of eulogy are harmed. 
Now, I'll cover more on that part in the next episode when we discuss the, the room or the area prior. But specifically, the Golem of Ahava, its only purpose is to protect everything in here. The alarm spell is cast in here, obviously, by the Lich, so it knows that if anyone comes in here, ding, okay, someone's entered the mausoleum, they're on their way down, I'll prepare everything over here, prepare my spells, yada, 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 they'll have to deal with the golem to get to me and destroy that damn thing. If anything in the mausoleum, if any of the remains are harmed, the golem focuses on that individual that harmed it. And it will be specifically vengeful. It will try and kill them. It will only attack them until it murders them savagely for harming the people of eulogy and that is essentially the the golem encounter it's in the mausoleum and the the second part of the golem encounter kind of extends out into the second room which i won't cover until the next episode which makes sense now if you go to me and what i designed yours is great it is thematic beautifully to your dungeon to what you're building <laughs> and as i've i have tried to match mine now again we have to recognize that a lich dungeon is going to be a high level dungeon and i'm using flesh golems or franks so many franks. as we've taken to call them but i've done something different oh, picture all the party entering a room like a medical ward. It is 40 feet wide by 60 feet long. And there are beds along the walls. And four of these beds have occupants. And one of these occupants stands upon the party entering. And you're talking about a nine and a half, 10 foot tall being made immaculate. No stitches, no large sewings or staples holding the flesh together, but very powerful and imposing. With the mind of a child, but can speak. Ooh! These Franks are a little bit more true to form of Mary Shelley's creature. They are still learning and developing their what eventually would be high intelligence, but they are children with an immense amount of strength, an immense amount of constitution, and barely an understanding of what is going on. And you have a party kicking down the door. This gives your players an option. Do we social encounter them or do we fight them in combat? And having that duality, that choice the players must make, also brings in the moral choice and makes them question what makes something human? What makes something alive? You ask the question that Mary Shelley was asking and you make the players give you an answer. Oh, that's good. That's good. A room full of Franks, <clears throat> baby Franks. It's just like it. You basically made a room like in Spirited Away when the little girl just walks into the crib and says, exactly. giant yeah. baby mm -hmm. is there. You're a germ. You're bad for me. Exactly. And now the party has to deal with them. And again, they're only CR5 creatures, and you're looking at probably a level 15, maybe level 16, 17 party at this stage. Right, so four of them isn't going to be this huge 
challenge. Right. The the fighter alone, if you have a fighter in your party, is going to drop one of them mm-hmm. without blinking. Your fighter's going to drop one. Your rogue gets a sneak attack and they're going to drop it. The wizard just throws a decently high-leveled spell at it. This is not a road bump. Or this is more nothing more than a road bump to them if they decide to expend energy fighting it. But the whole theme of this dungeon, the whole idea that I had coming up with this, even from the lich to here, is what is life? What is living and who dictates what's alive and who's not? And so by the time they reach the lich, they're going to be like... <clears throat> they're asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And they have to answer it this is the kind of shit that makes you a maniacal dm you actually make your players question (laughs) their moral decisions on whether or not they want to be adventurers exactly adventuring is a dangerous profession we never told you how it was dangerous but yes oh a room full of baby franks glorious playing with your players emotions and manipulating them in that way because they're just going to see this and are going to be like, um, because what's beautiful about this is they don't look like Franks. They just look they like don't. tall people. Exactly. There's because no, again, the monster in the original book, while yes, was made of an amalgamation of parts they don't necessarily, Mary Shelley doesn't necessarily describe it as sewn together patchwork. Right. So you can make the argument that Frankenstein, while horrid to look upon, just looked like a really ugly dude. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. The creature looked like a really ugly dude. Frankenstein was ugly inside and out. Mm -hmm. He gets the shun finger. Exactly. He gets many shun fingers for what he did. Well, I think that this room has definitely demonstrated how the proper use of a golem, or at least the dungeon and dragons version of a golem is supposed to be thrown into a game or has been heavily inspired by what made them what they are today. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Tune in next week to see how to start the dungeon. But as always, drink your fill. And oh, wait, before you go, you got to go talk to the bartender for the drink of the week because I hear this week is choice. I may have had a hand in this one. You might have had a hand in this one. (laughs) It involves blood. And that's all I'm giving you. Stay tuned. See you next week. Hey, hey, get down from there! Get down! Ah, and pay your tab! Oh, hi there. They call me Brandy here. I'm the host of the Drunken Dragon Turtle. They, they told you the, ah, drink of the week, that's right. Well, Fish specifically requested, I tell you, that the drink of the week is the blood of my enemies. He seems to have a thing for blood, weird vampire guy. Uh, Basically, here we like it sweet, so we use one part rum, spiced rum to be specific, then two parts tomato juice, one third lemon juice, a fourth part Worcestershire sauce, a fourth part dry sherry, hot sauce to taste, salt and pepper to taste, and there you have it, the blood of your enemies. Yes, what do you want? What do you want? Okay, what, what, what can I get? Okay, yeah, I'll take, I'll read this. I'll read this. Okay, yeah. Our music is done by Molly Elaine Music. You can find her at Molly Elaine Music on Instagram or at Molly Elaine Music on TikTok. If you like the show, please subscribe where you found it and leave a review. That's a great help to us. And thank you again for visiting the Drunken Dragon Turtle. Hey! Give me back my fork! No, don't pick!